Welcome to the Emmanuel Baptist Church Podcast. We pray that the sermon you're about to hear would be useful as you grow in your love for God and your love for His church. Now, here's today's sermon. The Coming of a King. This is the the name of our Advent sermon series. We're just taking four weeks, or five weeks rather, out of the book of Matthew. Come January, we'll be right back in the book of Matthew. But until then, we want to consider the Christmas story and look at it from different angles. Last week, we looked at cosmic Christmas, is what we called it. We looked at Revelation 12, uh, really the Christmas story from a heavenly lens, from a heavenly perspective, um, and a spiritual battle that was raging and uh, continues to rage in many ways. I haven't heard very many guesses as to what text we'll be looking at this Christmas season. I gave you the titles last week. Of course, you have this week given to you. Um, but we still have next week, Cantata Christmas. I need to hear some guesses on what Cantata Christmas might be about. And then Classic Christmas will be the one Christmas Eve we'll be looking at. Classic Christmas and Cantata Christmas. Would love to hear your thoughts on it. But today is Coronation Christmas. Anytime I hear the word coronation, I, I think of Twilight. And I, or not Twilight, uh, what is it called? Um, Frozen, thank you. I don't know why I said Twilight. I don't think of Twilight at all. I think of Frozen. And uh, that's just because we have a toddler who is obsessed with Elsa and Anna. But um, Coronation Christmas. Isaiah 9 is where we're going to be at. Your bulletin says that you can turn there. And uh, we're just going to look at two verses today. Powerful verses that really say a lot about who this Savior is that came 2,000 years ago in the form of a baby. Isaiah chapter 9, starting in verse 6, this is what the Word of God says. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulders. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of of his government, and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Amen. May God bless the reading of his word. And I have to confess to you, as I was writing my sermon On these two verses, I had the main points mapped out through verses 6 and 7, and then I started filling in, kind of putting meat on the bones, if you will, and I realized that I had a full sermon by the end of verse 6, and so um, we actually won't be going through verse 7 today. I planned on it, I just read it, and I had my main points outlined, but um, I had enough content by the end of verse 6, and so we're going to be just looking at verse 6 today. Coronation Christmas. Coronation meaning the crowning of a monarch or a ruler. And this is a classic Christmas passage that talks about Christ as ruler, as king, who will have the governance on his shoulders and he will be a great ruler. The only true ruler 
over all the worlds, even though there are other rulers, kings, monarchs, presidents, all of them are under the jurisdiction of the king of kings, Jesus Christ himself, and he was born as a baby 2,000 years ago. Coronation Christmas. We need to understand Isaiah 9 in its context if we really want to get the fullness of it. Okay, and so Isaiah 9 isn't obviously, it isn't an island by itself with nothing around it. It comes in the context of a prophet speaking to the people of God. Chapters 1 through 5, he's talking about how Israel has sinned, has gone wayward, does not trust Yahweh, and they are called to repent of their sin. That's chapters 1 through 5. And then you get to chapter 6. That's the, the famous chapter where Isaiah is taken up into the throne room of God, and God calls him to announce judgment on Israel because they won't repent. And in fact, God says he will not allow them to repent. That he will blind their eyes from seeing their need to repent. He will keep them from repenting so that they will be under his judgment. And Isaiah is called to prophesy this. Isaiah chapter 6. And then chapters 7 through 9 are really hints of comfort to these people that are going to receive judgment for their sin. Because God is telling them that he will indeed give relief eventually. Not immediately, but eventually. He will give relief, and that will be by sending a ruler to reign over them. The proof sign of this will be a virgin. A virgin giving birth. Just think about that. He says, you want to you see that I am all-powerful and I can do anything I want? I will enable a virgin to give birth. Isaiah seven fourteen. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. He's saying, this is, this is how you know. I will provide a ruler. I will be with you. I will not give you up to despair forever. And here's your sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. And that child, talked about in Isaiah chapter 7, will bring good. He will renew Israel's condition of prosperity, and he will rule over them. That's when we get into Isaiah chapter 9. We can look at verse 2. It says, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. He's prophesying about when the Savior will come. The people who have seen darkness will see a great light. Those who dwell in the land of deep darkness on them has light shown. He will come and he will bring light out of the darkness and the despair that Israel is feeling. And then you get to Isaiah 6, which is a description of this child, of this child who will be the king of God's people and he will provide all their needs. We see four descriptions in Isaiah 9 verse 6, four titles to this one who will have the government on his shoulders. Each title has a noun and then a descriptor to that noun. A, a, you could say a noun and then an adjective describing that noun. He is counselor, but he's wonderful counselor. He is God and he is mighty God. He is father. He's everlasting father. He is a prince and he is a prince of peace. And this was the comfort to a people that would face judgment for their sin and not following God as Savior. 
This is their promise that they can cling to in the midst of judgment and despair. You see, Israel's problem was was the same in, in many ways. Israel's problem was the same as many people today. God wasn't their Lord. It's that simple. God wasn't their Lord. They weren't living like God was their Lord. He wasn't truly Lord to them. They would call him Lord. They would call him God. They would go to synagogue, but he wasn't, he wasn't Lord of their life. And so he, as Romans 1 would say, he gave them over to that. You want a different ruler of your life? You want a different Lord that is guiding your life? I'll give you a different Lord. And he gives them over to that in the form of Assyria, who would come and conquer Israel. And he says, do you see the foolishness of having a different ruler in your life and a different Lord in your life than me? This is, this is true for people today. This, this could be you. That you might claim that God is Lord. You might come to church regularly. Maybe you're a member here. But God isn't Lord. He isn't Lord. Really, like living like He is in charge of and dictating and overseeing your life. And all that it entails. If you aren't living like God is Lord, He'll give you over to that. And allow you to experience the foolishness of having anyone or anything else other than Him as Lord over your life. You can tell that something is Lord By just saying, does your life revolve around what it demands? Whatever your life revolves around and whatever it demands of you, that's the Lord in your life. That, that's the Lord. If your life was revolving around it and its demands, that is the Lord. And so for many people, this is work and money. You live, you die, and everywhere in between is just trying to get a dollar. Many people... Work, stature, climbing the ladder, making money, this is Lord. And everything else falls in line behind that. It's Lord. Some people, it's just the opinions of others. What other people think of me is Lord. That dictates everything that I do, all that I say, anything that I would show or admit to, how I dress, what I drive. People's opinions, that is Lord. It's what your life revolves around, and it dictates For other people, it might be sports, which boggles my mind, and it should boggle your mind, that somebody would actually give all of themselves to a game, and yet so many do. Church comes second to watching a game. Family devotions come second to getting to ball games. Sports may be Lord because your life revolves around it. Most people, self is Lord. It's what I want, what I crave, what I quote-unquote need. Self is Lord. And in all of those cases, whatever it is, God isn't Lord in those situations. And God wants us to see here in Isaiah 9 that He is the best Lord 
that anyone can ever have. He is the Lord that all people should submit to. And one day will, Philippians 2 says, bow down and acknowledge his lordship. So my hope here in Isaiah 9, as we look at just these four titles of our king, King Jesus, I just want us to see why Jesus is worthy to be crowned Lord of all in your life. And especially if you're coming into this room today and he isn't Lord, and you just admit, yeah, my life is revolving around a few other things other than God. I just want you to see in Isaiah 9, man, those things are not worthy. He is worthy to be the ruler, the Lord of my life. And so that's what we're going to do here, looking at these four titles and what they entail. So firstly, he is wonderful counselor. This is Jesus. He is infinitely wise. He is an infinitely wise leader. We can get that from wonderful counselor, can't we? And we're not by counselor, I don't mean the kind that would have you lay down on a on a couch and say, "How does that make you feel?" You know, tell me more about that. I, we're not talking therapy here, counselor. We're not talking like a school counselor. We're talking about the kind that a counselor where a king or a ruler would go to for advice and guidance as they would make decisions. He is a counselor. And wonderful, wonderful counselor is meant to convey, he, he, he invokes wonder or awe or amazement that confounds human minds. That whatever he would say, we would say, I would have never thought of that. That baffles me. I could have never imagined that. He is he brings wonder. How did you, how could you have known that? He brings amazement. He is amazing counselor, wonderful counselor. This is the kind of ruler that Jesus is. We live in a great nation, but I have to say, amazingly wise isn't the description I would choose for our elected officials all the time, right? That's fair. Amazingly wise is not what I'm, I'm never dumbfounded by the wisdom of some of our elected officials in this government. Christ, though, over his government, has unfailingly perfect knowledge and wisdom all the time. He is wonderful, counselor, He's never experienced the feeling of surprise. He's never been caught off guard. I think of uh, this past week, we went and saw my, my mom and dad, and Judah was playing ball with my dad, and he was, they were playing catch, and then something got my dad's attention, and he looked to the other side, he's playing with Judah right here, he looks to the other side, and he's talking to someone, and Judah, is, he's still playing catch. And so he throws the ball and hits my dad in the head, and, uh, and he could tell my dad's like, mm, okay, I love you, buddy. You know, and, um, and so my mom said, Andy, or uh, Judah, why don't you tell Papa that, that you're sorry? <laughs> We're working on this. But he said, oh, I'm sorry, Papa. You catch it next time? And so, <laughs> so <laughs> and uh, I don't know which one my dad was more surprised by the ball hitting him in the face or that comment coming out of his two-year-old grandson's mouth. God is never caught off guard. God is never surprised. He's never caught 
flat-footed and saying, I would have never guessed. I had no idea that was coming. He's never surprised. In fact, Isaiah 40, verse 14 says, he doesn't consult anybody. We consult him. He's always the informant. He's never needing to be enlightened. In fact, Psalm 147, verse 5 says that his knowledge and his wisdom is infinite. And so, with this first description, Christian, find comfort in this reality that you serve a Lord, one who governs your life with all knowledge and all wisdom. This is true about the one who leads your life. He already knew the diagnosis. He was already prepared for the rift in your marriage. He's not surprised by the recession of the economy. He is unshakenly on his throne and ruling, always aware, always ahead of that which happens. This is the God that we serve. This is why he's worthy to be Lord. He is not only infinitely wise, but he is all-powerful. He is wonderful counselor and mighty God. He is all-powerful. Notice that in this one verse, in verse 6, we see the dual nature of Christ. He is both fully God, that is mighty God, and he is also fully man, a child born, a son that has been given. This is what we would call the, the doctrine of the incarnation. That as John 1.14 says that he took on flesh or he tabernacled with his own creation. The creator of Mary stooped down to be formed within Mary. The architect of mankind took on flesh of man himself. The very kind of skin and bones that he created, he takes on. And yet never losing the title, Mighty God. Again, just to talk about our nation, just to give us some kind of perspective of Christ's governance and the governance that we're used to. Again, I'm not denying that our nation has incredible power and is rightfully feared by the rest of the world. That is true. We have a powerful government. But the United States doesn't hold a candle to the power of Jesus, our King. When speaking of His wisdom, we can say that He foresees all things. When speaking of His power, He foreordains all things. That is to control all things. Not only knows it, He ensures it. Nuclear warfare makes Him smirk. Terrorists are ants that he flicks and stomps on. Cancer and dementia bow down when they are told to. He is mighty God, all-powerful. In fact, Revelation 6, if you go to this chapter, you don't have to right now, but it's incredible. I love the imagery that we see. Isaiah 6, verse 16, describes these rulers, the mighty kings of the world, and they are cowering behind and hiding underneath clefts and rocks. And I can just imagine walking one day on a stroll, right, by these rocks, and you just see these, these men of wearing royalty garb, 
And you could tell that's the king of such and such nation. And this is the, the ruler of such and such kingdom. And, and I have to ask, what are you all doing here? I say, we're, we're hiding. What are you hiding from? What's coming? Right? And you kind of want to cower down too. What, what are we hiding from? The lamb. And that's when you just think, okay, you're off your rocker. You're hiding from a, can you just say it again? Mighty king. Hiding from a what? We're hiding from the, the lamb. The lamb that's been slain. That's what Revelation 6, 16 says, that they were hiding behind rocks, wanting, in fact, that the rocks would fall on them rather than the lamb come. They're terrified. And indeed, they are right to be terrified of a lamb. The lamb that was slain, who is also the lion of Judah, who is a lamb that had been crucified by man and yet is mighty God. All at the same time. There is no competition with him. There is no opposition with him, which has a fighting chance of superiority, trying to claw over his power. There is none that can do it. He is mighty God. In fact, Isaiah 43, verse 13, he's saying in Isaiah 43, there is none who can deliver out of my hand. I act, who can reverse it? This is the God, this is the Lord that we serve. And who deserves you to call him Lord over all things? He is both wise and all-powerful. I mentioned earlier at the beginning of the sermon that we're, well, with our two-year-old, we're in, we're in the swing of, of all the, the shows um, with, I almost called it Twilight again. I don't know why. I see those two as like synonymous, but um, with Frozen, but then also he is on a big kick with The Incredibles, talking about Judah, my son. He's, he's big about The Incredibles. Uh, I think he's got a crush on, on Elastigirl, which is the mom, but anyway, he, he's, he's got this crush on Elastigirl, but we've been watching The Incredibles, and there's this scene, if you know about The Incredibles, there's this scene where the dad, and they, the, the, the whole family, all of them have super abilities, supernatural st stuff, and, and the dad is super strong, I mean, he can lift buildings, right, he's so strong and, and powerful, but there's this part in the scene where he is, he is strapped and tied down, and he can't do anything, he's helpless, and he's listening to his family, who are being attacked, they're going to be shot down in this jet, and he's listening to this on radio, and he's saying, please don't hurt my family, and his family's in this jet, the jet gets shot down, and they say, target terminated, and he's still strapped down, all-powerful, Mr. Incredible, and he just hangs his head, his family's been killed, this is not our God, he is legitimately all-powerful. He has no binds that can actually hold him down. There is nothing that can hold his hand from moving if he wants it to move. He does not listen helplessly. He's always capable to act. So I guess the question that we have to ask, and the natural question that comes about is, if he is all-powerful and capable of stopping bad things, then why doesn't he? Well, we can't know his perfect plan. And that question is deserving of 40 minutes in itself. But we can know that he promises 
that any delay for your and I's good is ultimately for our good. That even bad things that would happen in his great purview and seeing all things is actually for our good. And Romans 8 would say that he will, by the end of time, make all things and with all things work together in the grand scheme of things for the good of those who love him. He is all-powerful and he can ensure that. He is wonderful counselor. He is mighty God. He's everlasting Father. So not only is he infinitely wise, not only is he all-powerful, but he is an all-loving leader and ruler. We do have to ask the question, okay, if this is talking about the birth of Jesus Christ, which it is, how is he father? Right? This goes against our Trinitarian theology, and hopefully that triggered in your brain. Hold on, he's the son of God. He's the second person of the Trinity. How is he everlasting father? Well, we have to remember again who is writing and when he is writing. Isaiah is the prophet here. Isaiah's writing in the Old Covenant, and when he was writing, the sonship of the Father, or the sonship of Christ to the Father, this hasn't been revealed in clear terms until the New Testament. Trinitarian theology isn't articulated in depth until the New Testament. And so when Isaiah uses the term father, it's meant to show that he is like a good father. He he takes on this nature and all the things that come with it with being a good father. He will care for, he will provide for, he will support, he will lead his people. In a lot of ways, though, the New Testament would use the terminology elder brother, right? You know how like an older brother would take care of his younger brother. He's elder brother, and that's New Testament terminology, but Father here is meant to really communicate a lot of the same things. He cares for us. He will protect us. He will support us. He will lead us. This is the God that we serve. This is the Lord that we should bow down to. Now, again, we are, I'll say it again, we are greatly blessed by this nation, but... I wouldn't say that our leaders have a paternal care for me. I don't know about you. You're like, man, they are just always so deeply concerned about my (laughs) well-being. Maybe there's other motives going on with those that rule over us in our nation other than a paternal care for us. In fact, usually we are skeptical of the motives behind certain actions. We doubt their genuine concern for all people. And that it's not selfless and for their own self-gain. But it is not so with our ruler, Christ. He is everlasting Father. He genuinely has a special parental care for his people's well-being. He's not a hateful leader. And I just want you to hear that because I think a lot of people, depending on what you've gone through in the past, you may think that God is a hateful God. He is not a hateful God. He's not a hateful leader. A hateful leader would be one who could help, has the power of Almighty God to help, 
that he doesn't care to help. No. Here in Isaiah 9, 6, we see that both he is able to help, mighty God, and cares to help, everlasting Father. He, and, and you can, really these titles build on each other. I just want you to see that. Wonderful counselor, he knows your problem. Mighty God, he's able to help your problem. Everlasting Father, he cares to actually do that and help you in your problem. There is no need to be skeptical of Christ's motive. There's no hidden agenda. He doesn't sidestep questions as they're given by paparazzi and journalists. There is no political schemes with Christ. There is only genuine love for his people. He is both powerful and capable, loving and willing. And these two attributes, power and love, capable and willing, are shown perfectly on the cross, aren't they? That he was able to do what no one else is able to do. He's able to conquer death, defeat Satan, appease the wrath of God, take your sins, put it upon himself, and yet not stay dead, rise from the dead, ascend to the, to the throne, sit with almighty, holy God, and rule over the nations. He is able, and not only able, he is willing in love, to endure what all of that required of him because he loves his bride. He loves you. In fact, John fifteen thirteen says that there is no greater love than this, that one would lay down his life. He was able to do it. He was in love, willing to do it. Lastly, not only is he infinitely wise, all-powerful, all-loving. He is also perfect in peacemaking, perfectly peaceful. We get this from the last title, Prince of Peace. Now, we stand for peace in this nation, and we work towards peace in this nation, but we have to admit it's not always the most peaceful amongst those that live within it even. Rioting takes place, looting takes place, there's racial division, there's political turmoil, there's mass shootings, though we can work towards it and we can fight for it and we can support it, the reality is we cannot maintain it because that is a work that man cannot do. Only God can bring true, lasting, legitimate, real peace. Only God can. Jesus doesn't claim peace. He doesn't wave the flag of peace when really his kingdom's just burning down and the people are killing themselves. No, he truly makes legitimate peace through one single act on the cross. Right? With, with one act on the cross, he made peace between God and man. That is ruler and subject. King and citizen. And this is the most important relationship that you can ever have. And if you don't have that today, if you don't, uh, as a man or as a woman, have a relationship with your king, your ruler, your creator, you need to, through faith, bowing your knee to him as Lord over all in your life. You see, we are divided from him by sin, 
sin that we do. And we are only made right by Christ's perfect obedience, like our catechism said, that he will not see our sin at all as we would bow our knee to him. The cross doesn't only, though, make peace between God and man. It also accomplishes the possibility of peace amongst the citizens, man and man, within the kingdom of God. Revelation 7 says that heaven will be filled with people from every tribe, every nation, and every tongue at peace with one another. And Galatians 3 says that, in fact, it won't be Jew and Gentile. The slaves are over here and the free are over there. All are Christian. And until in glory when that reality is actualized, until then, until all of our differences and disagreements, divisions are settled in heaven, right now, on this side of heaven, we strive for peace the best we can amongst the body of Christ, don't we? We don't do that by just sweeping its stuff under the carpet, right? We don't do it by carelessly, carelessly brushing off our differences, especially ones that affect the gospel. 2 Corinthians 6.14 says that there is no union between believer and non-believer. There is no fellowship between light and dark, and so we don't just have this fake unity with people just because we don't want to address a gospel issue. Once we discern that another person, though, does believe in the true gospel. We allow our differences to be secondary. And we allow unity in Christ, brother and sisterhood, to take prominence. This is what it's like to live in the citizen of the kingdom, the prince of peace. So, wrapping up here, just considering these four titles and and each of them really a reason why we should submit to him and give allegiance to him as the ruler of our lives. Multiple times I've contrasted in this sermon our great nation with how Jesus' governance is described in the scripture. Right? I've contrasted them. So I just want to say this. It is good to be a patriot. You should be a patriot. It is right to love your nation, pray for your nation, work for the benefit of your own nation. All of those are true. Yet, but infinitely more is that you would ensure you are a Christian more than you are an American. I am not a Christian American. I happen to be an American Christian. And the one is so much more important than the other. Both of them are allegiances. Both of them are bowing a knee to the ruler of somebody over me. But one is so much more important that he would be ruler of all, that I would submit and bow my knee to the king of kings and the ruler of all, the one who spun the world into existence and since then has used it as his footstool and has had Satan under his thumb. This is our chief authority the last thing I'll say here, at the end of Jesus' ministry here on earth, Matthew 28, 18, he came and said to them, 
all authority in heaven and on earth have been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, and you know the Great Commission. Now, this will amaze you. It'll blow your socks off. In the Greek, the word all there means uh, all. Yeah. That's why I went to school, guys. Yeah. All. All authority has been given to him. There is no plan outside of his plan. There is no outcome other than the one that he chose. There's no stray rebel that he just can't contain and deal with. There's no threats which are legitimate threats. All authority is his. This is what he said at the end of his life. And so at the start of his life on earth, Christmas, the world was introduced to its all-authoritative ruler, wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, worthy to be submitted to by everyone. Jesus' rule is inevitable. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess, but his rule is also good for those who are his. There is no wiser, there is no stronger, there is no, no more loving or peaceful ruler. Whatever Lord you have, if it's not Christ, it is not those things. So may we all here this morning in honest reflection of this Christmas season consider if Christ truly is Lord. That we don't just call him Lord, but really see him as Lord and ruler of our life. If that's not you, I'd like to talk to you. I'll be up in the front. There will be other people up here for prayer. I'd like to talk to you and and just pray with you and encourage you and talk with you. So um, if that's you, please make that um, step if you would be able. Otherwise, may we all just sing in just a minute to the God that deserves our submission and obedience to. Let's pray. Thanks for listening to today's sermon. If you live in or near Bethany, Missouri, we invite you to join us for our worship services held on Sunday morning and Sunday evenings, as well as our various activities on Wednesday nights. For more information on how you can get involved, visit our website at bethanyibc.com.